The last Olympian, chapter seven, my math teacher gives me a lift. We emerged in Central Park just north of the pond. Mrs. O'Leary looked pretty tired as she limped over to a cluster of boys. I'm Ava. I'm Neve. And I'm Brayden. And this is Return to Camp Half-Blood. Join us as we journey back through a childhood favorite series. And see what lessons we can learn as adults from these books that meant so much to us as kids. All right, folks, welcome back to Return to Camp Half-Blood. I don't know why it took me, I stretched that title out for so long uh, this week. Anyways, this week we are talking about The Last Olympian, chapters 7 and 8. My math teacher gives me a lift and mm, my computer is being slow, so I don't, uh, I take the worst bath ever (laughs) through the theme of vulnerability. I got there eventually. You did. You're doing great. No worries. All right. This week, we are joined by a very special guest, Emma Berglund of Fan City Central. Woo! She has been on the podcast before, but she is back again. Emma, would you like to introduce yourself for the listeners who don't know you? Yeah. Hey, guys. I'm so happy to be back. Thanks. Um especially with all of the series news coming out. Very exciting. So I'm Emma, Fan City Central. I do entertainment reacts, news, celebrity interviews, and all of that fun jazz on YouTube and Instagram. Um, And I'm always down to talk about Percy Jackson, always. Yes. You've come to the right place. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Emma, are you prepared to give us a 30 second recap of these chapters? I think so. I feel like I've got this. Do you guys put up like an official timer or like? Uh, I I play the timer and I'll I'll let you know uh, when. when. All right. I'll give you a countdown. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Okay. So Nico and Percy arrive at the entrance of the underworld and it's Orpheus's entrance and we learn about his story. And then Percy starts sensing Grover, so they meet Grover, he wakes him up by talking about food, and then Grover comes out, plays like some Nirvana, I think it is, to open up the door, and then they head down into the underworld with Mrs. O'Leary, and turns out Nico actually tricked Percy to go into the underworld to talk to his dad first before they finished it. Is it, oh, Time's I didn't up. even get to do the first chapter. I know, it's beautiful. <laughs> These were pretty, pretty stiff chapters. Yeah, they were dense. They were insane. A lot happened. A lot happened. A lot happens. It was a valiant effort, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What did she leave out? What else happens? Uh, we got, so Nico brings Percy to Hades. Mm-hmm. Hades oh, kidnaps him. The, uh-huh. the Furies are back. The Furies are back. We get a Mrs. Dodds cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, Percy gets in the river and is a fighting badass. True. <laughs> and we learned Annabeth's anchor. And Annabeth's yeah. anchor to the real world. Oh. <laughs> so cute. Oh, my God. Oh, also, there's, like, a little detail about how the, the uh, Typhon is, has destroyed... St. Louis. Mm-hmm. We have all of the the um, lightning thief references in this chapter. 
We go back to the underworld again. We see service again. Mrs. Dodds, St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. Nico right. learns about his mom a little bit. Yes, oh, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Oh, we see Demeter. Yeah. Oh, we meet Demeter. Oh, yeah, from Persephone. <laughs> yes. They fight about cereal. They, they fight really do. Cereal. They fight about cereal. They really do be fighting about that cereal. All right, Ava, what mm -hmm. musical selections do you have for us this week? Mm, okay, every week we reach more and more. <laughs> um, so, uh, okay. Um, the first one, um, for chapter seven, I have felt the absence of Taylor Swift recently. And so I wanted to um bring her bring her back keep her going um in a little bit of a satirical way so i chose i knew you were trouble <laughs> because percy had a suspicion like in the book before that he was like oh nico's gonna kill me and um in a way nico like did something a little shady to percy so he knew he was trouble <laughs> um and then my rationale for my choice for chapter eight um for some reason, the oh, I picked the song "Runaway" by Aurora, and um, there was just like a very—I don't know why—the passage about them running away was so vivid to me. I think it was because Percy was like running away with a child of Hades is like nothing else, and I was like, oh, okay, like I, <laughs> like it really stood out in my brain. Um, so yeah, I just picked a song very directly about running away. <laughs> I really like that that you said you felt the absence of Taylor Swift as if the last time it was your turn, you did not also pick a Taylor Swift song. I mean, the love for Mr. could always use because could always use more. You can't yeah. go wrong with T Swift. Come on. No. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Her her catalog is so all-encompassing that we really probably could do them all with Taylor Swift songs. I think I think that should be a podcast episode is just going through each book in the series and just making a Taylor Swift playlist for every single moment. It's funny because we have talked about that. I think we talked <laughs> yeah. about that a couple episodes ago. Yeah. That, uh, I mean, I think we have to now. Mm -hmm. mm. We have no other choice. Yeah. All right, folks, what did we forget about these chapters? This is like kind of unfair for me. I just reread the, these chapters to go on Fran's podcast, The Best Damn Camp. So so the, these ones were a little fresher in my mind, but what did everyone else forget? Honestly, so many aspects of these two chapters were like right here. Like I knew a lot. These are like very important chapters. Like I remembered them very well. Like there were certain lines that I reread and I was like, oh, I remember laughing at that when I was 11. <laughs> like it's very, very, very specific. Yeah. I mean, I just reread these like last year. So it was, it was pretty similar for me. There wasn't much that I forgot because they are pretty heavy chapters. Um, but when I reread them last year, I hadn't read Heroes of Olympus. So it was cool to go back and reread this book again this time, but with the framing of Nico's whole story in my head and him and Percy and that whole thing. So that was kind of cool to just reread that and have that in my mind. Yeah, I knowing the like that Nico comes out, spoiler heavy podcast, um, in Heroes of Olympus, and then like rereading specifically this book, I feel like we didn't see it as much in uh, the Battle of the Labyrinth, but definitely in The Last Olympian, we see like 
the groundwork being laid, but I don't want to give Rick that credit. I don't think he knew what he was doing yet, but it's interesting, like doing a queer reading of, there's a lot you can read into this book queer wise. I mean, we've talked about the Selena and Clarice of it all, um, but it's exciting. I forgot most of it. Cannot lie. <laughs> um, I'm not great at remembering specifics in terms of like, well, like I'll remember details that really jumped out at me, um, but I, I won't remember the general plot structure of a book. Like, and so I, I won't remember that like this big thing happened in this chapter. Um, but I think the, the most significant thing that I really forgot about was I did not remember um, A, that we specifically met Demeter um, and B, that we met her in this way. Um, I, I think I was like, I don't know if we meet Hestia or Demeter or both because they're kind of similar in certain ways. Um, so when we met Demeter, I was like, oh, like, hey, girl, like, it's so great to see you. <laughs> hey, girly, what's up? How are we doing? <laughs> the characterization of Demeter is so interesting that she's just like a nagging uh, mother-in-law. Yeah. It was yeah. certainly a choice. Yeah, it was. Choices. Choices. I mean, there's one in every family, so had to be one of the Olympuses. <laughs> <laughs> I and do you know have what? To... She is kind of justified. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like, love I her. get it. I'm, I'm a Demeter stan. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. want, like, um, a version of Monster-in-Law, but it's Hades, Persephone, and Demeter. I guess it doesn't work as well because... That's that's not like it's J Lo's mother in law. Not so it doesn't quite work, but we could do it. <laughs> I I really like Monster in Law. That's a, a, a favorite movie of mine. Weird choice, but it always brings me joy. Uh, but I do I do wish we had some more. These the scenes with the three of them are very funny, and I wish we got some more of that dynamic because it's just a fun dynamic to watch but it's kind of inconsequential to like the the rest the of the war plot. yeah yeah yes uh there's maybe a lot the more going on maybe in the series yes oh my god <laughs> mm-hmm. we get that far all right then we we will take a quick break and then we'll be back to discuss our theme of vulnerability You know, the pandemic has had a tremendous impact on sleep insomnia and anxiety. If you're suffering from sleep issues like half of the world is, our sponsor, Real Sleep, has developed the world's first personalized sleep solution customized to you. Unlike prescription and over-the-counter sleep aids, their plant-based formula works with your body to get you to sleep faster, help you sleep deeper, and cut down on sleep disturbances. I know that I have terrible insomnia and trouble sleeping. I've definitely talked about this on the podcast. I go to bed regularly at 4 a.m., but real sleep helps. While sleep is solitary, you are not alone, and real sleep is here to help. That's why we're teaming up with real sleep to give you 20% off your next purchase. So go to the link in our show notes and use the code POD, P-O-D, 
to see why real sleep is the last sleep product you'll ever need. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Where do we see vulnerability in these chapters? I'm going to say let's not start with the obvious. Yeah. <laughs> we'll save the obvious for last. I'm going to say the, the first place that it, it shows up for me is with Grover yeah. and, and Morpheus. Something about the vulnerability of, of being put to sleep is actually fucking terrifying. I agree. Yeah. Especially since Ava knows because she lived with me for three weeks. I sleep like a dead person. Like I sleep like I have been literally conked out. Um, It takes an alarm that doesn't turn off until I solve a basic math problem. Math problem! The idea of getting involuntarily put to sleep, like, terrifying. I would never awaken. Like, I understand it took a while to get Grover up. It would take, you would not be able to wake me up if that happened to me. It would take you longer than two months. Yes, it would. It would be very bad. She'd miss the quest. I would. This whole war would be happening and I'd be sleeping. I do have to say part of me was like, First off, it is scary to be put to sleep against your will. There's a lot of implications in that um, that I, I we won't get into because they're very serious and um, <laughs> I'm not I, feeling that serious. Yes, understood. But yeah, part of me is also like, I wish I could fall asleep that easily. <laughs> As someone with like really bad insomnia... Also, I had, so I got my COVID vaccine yesterday and therefore I had a very bad night last night. Uh, I had a fever the whole night. It was really rough. I wish Morpheus could have come in, like conked me out um, for <laughs> 16 hours. Um, and then I could have just woken up and been fine. Uh, but instead I just kind of laid still and stared at my ceiling <laughs> for hours but it's okay. I feel a lot better now. I'm drinking my Gatorade. I'm rehydrating myself. I was um, going to say, I can bring you my melatonin. It is sitting right <laughs> I No, I do, I do have my melatonin. I took like four and it did not help. Oh, no. <laughs> it like put me to sleep for about 15 minutes and then I woke back up. Ooh. Yeah. Rough night, but we're past it. We've moved on. We're going to bigger and better things. Yeah. But yeah, Grover is put in such a vulnerable position while he's asleep. Do we think he would have ever woken up if Percy had not been in in the vicinity? Eventually. I don't even know, though, because... When you think about it, Percy only tried to activate the empathy link 
to help him out to like open this door so if he had never needed that like it's not that he doesn't care about Grover but I think it's gotten to a point where Percy wants to trust him enough that like he doesn't need to like constantly connect with him or like look for him do you know what I mean yeah so like I don't know yeah man's could have been asleep for as long as Neve would have been asleep for <laughs> you're so right it's also a big theme in these chapters is the vulnerability of like relationships and trust. Like Nico really betrays Percy because Percy has opened himself up to be vulnerable to it because Percy is very hesitant to trust Nico from the beginning. He thinks Nico wants to kill him because he thinks everything is about him. Um, <laughs> but to be fair, it's not true, but the world keeps t- trying to tell him it is. So you can understand how he ends up there. Yeah. But so he he puts his trust in Nico in this thing that he is kind of scared of. And it backfires on him because he made himself vulnerable and he opened himself up to being hurt. Yeah, I, I hate how, how everyone piles on Nico, but it I mean, it's true. There's a lot of a lot of things against him and he just has really bad luck and everything. But I think it's also Nico's being vulnerable in this situation too, to try to figure out what stuff about his family and his mom. And especially if you've read heroes of Olympus, the whole context is like really heartbreaking for Nico to have to do this to Percy. Um, So I think they're both in a really vulnerable position at that moment. And then you even see Hades be a little bit vulnerable when he starts talking about Nico's mom, which I love because I love their portrayal of Hades. Um, Then he becomes a dick again, but a little bit of vulnerability there from that God for a bit, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think Nico's vulnerability is really interesting because he has to weigh between finding out about his family and because he's lost his sister, he doesn't really have a relationship with Hades. He just wants to know what happened to his mother. Mm -hmm. And he has a a friendship with Percy a little bit. And he obviously has a crush on Percy, but they don't, they're, they don't have a super like close relationship to begin with. But so he has to weigh these things with each other and he decides that he really needs to find out about his mother, but that leaves him open to being hurt by Percy in two ways. One, in like Percy just being mad at him for betraying him, but also Percy tries to kill Nico. (laughs) He's like, I'm going to strangle this kid. It's like, I almost said, Mrs. O'Leary, eat him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that did happen, didn't it? Yeah. I mean I it's always so weird too because I I never think about how young they are but like the amount of stupid things I did when I was like 15 16 and then to add like superpowers basically on top of that like <laughs> I I don't know I don't know a lot of stuff would have gone down in high school um so it's it's tough because you feel where Percy's coming from you also understand where Nico's coming from and then it's like near-death experience it's just a Tuesday like really yeah yeah and, like, we can't forget that Nico is 12 in these chapters, too. Yeah. Like, that is a sixth grader or seventh yeah. grader. 
Rick doesn't know what ages, what grades are. We've established that Percy is not in the right grade. He is too old for the grade that he's in. Um, but like he was held he back in, like, from blowing up all of his schools. That's what happened. <laughs> yes, I mean that makes sense. I think he. I think it gets retconned in the end, but like <laughs> it is, it is off for a while. Um, but yeah, he's Nico is so young, and he is a actual child. And he's like, gone through so much trauma. It's so sad. It's really like they've all gone through so much trauma, but Nico is insane. This kid at 10 loses the only person he's ever known and then just like runs off on his own to talk to dead people. Yeah. And has no concept of the world because he's been living in a hotel since the 1940s or whatever. So it's like, you poor child. Like... I don't know. I have a really big soft spot for Nico, especially after I read Heroes of Olympus. I'm like, I, I see things so much differently now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Nico has always been one of my favorite characters. I will, I will defend his actions even if they're questionable. Um, Percy's a little shit sometimes, so like, lock him up. Lock him up, <laughs> Please. He Please. gets out. <laughs> Yeah, he's like your stereotypical hero, and then Nico's more like an anti-hero. So he just, I love them both in different ways. And it's interesting to see both of their different vulnerabilities here as well, because Percy's really taking a chance on Nico. And then the one time he does take that chance, it backfires. So then he's like super hurt. But then Nico's also more vulnerable in terms of a relationship. Like he just wants to find out about his mom. And weighing that sacrifice, like it's more of a sacrifice thing as opposed to I'm putting my trust in you. Um, so that was a cool context. Yeah, I also like the point that you made earlier about Hades being vulnerable too, and how that actually is kind of a risk for him because clearly Persephone does not want to hear about this other woman. And like, that makes sense. We we see a couple times in this book, they're like, oh, these gods do have wives. They like be having kids, but they do have wives. It's interesting because like monogamy is, is a social construct, but also like, it's very unclear how much gods care about monogamy and how much they don't. Um, but clearly in this book, the wives do because Poseidon's wife whose name I don't remember we only see her for two seconds and Persephone are very mad and I mean Hera of course but it's kind of interesting and also gross that like the the female gods like really value monogamy and the male gods really value fucking anything that they see yeah well that's a good point I didn't even think of that and probably because, I mean, I don't like the way it was portrayed that way also, but probably because the the male gods have a lot more of the power. So they like have to value marriage and like staying with this man. It's almost like the 1800s, like the man had the power. So if you weren't married, you didn't really have anything. Um, I hope they change that in the series. <laughs> That's a good point. Because <laughs> it's like with, with the, the godly relationships we see, it's, often like a really powerful Olympian dating like a minor god 
Yeah. Or not dating, like married to a minor god. And then like the major female gods don't have relationships as often. Like Athena yeah. doesn't actually have real relationships. She has a like intellectual relationship with um, uh, Annabeth's dad, whatever that means. Uh, but also... I think Hera and Zeus are the only ones who are like super evenly matched. Yeah, they're pretty equal. But even then, like, I mean, I hate Hera. And I hate Zeus, actually. So that's a fairly fair comparison. I was going to say, like, Hera's pretty hated, but so is Zeus. So, yeah, they're pretty equal. I think they're the only ones that are pretty equal. We hate Zeus a lot. Yeah, yeah. Fuck Zeus. We actually... (laughs) actually I actually do love Hera, though. Um... But yeah. not even not like how she's written, but like how she could be, how she yeah. should be. Um, she has potential. Yeah. Also, yeah, it's also like I like Hera because a lot of the sort of myth adaptations, like you look at the actual deeds and you look at like the things she has done versus like the things that male gods have done, and then you look at like how sort of that inequity has been twisted by sort of male, um, like authors or male historians or classicists or whatever um and there's just such a difference between like the deeds and the tone um and so I like her a lot like in part because I just think she deserves better representation I don't think she's perfect at all but you know that's my that's my take (laughs) yeah I was gonna say something I forgot what I was gonna say (laughs) But yes, um, Hera forever. <laughs> I mean, she also gets great in, in Heroes of Olympus. I'm a big fan of, of Hera. True. She's she's very witty in that series, and I, I enjoy that. Um, I, I just hope we get more, yeah, representation for the women gods, for sure. That would be cool. Like, especially, like, Persephone is one of my favorite characters, and her myth is so sad. And I would love to see more of her. We don't get to see a lot of her. Um I think that a lot of the ways the gods are portrayed to are pretty stereotypical as opposed to their myth. I think Hades, he made a little bit different, which I enjoyed. Um, But most of them are pretty stereotypical. So I think it would be cool to twist those up a little bit and see more of how they should have been written because they were all written from the male gaze. That would be cool. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think as like his series goes on, he becomes less stereotypical with the portrayals but definitely in this first series they really are but like we see with Aphrodite how problematic she's is as portrayed in this series and then it gets a lot more complex once we introduce Piper um yeah I honestly because I'd only read this one so I when I took the quiz and I was the daughter of Aphrodite I was like are you kidding me? Like, why? And then I read Heroes of Olympus and I read about Piper and how they like completely changed Aphrodite's character. And I was like, all right, this is cool. I've, I've cabin 10 all the way. I'm there. <laughs> Hell yes. We, we love Aphrodite. All right. I think it's time to talk about the obvious place that we see vulnerability in these <laughs> chapters, which is with the curse of Achilles. Um, I love how the Curse of Achilles is written and like the whole conception of it because like originally it's kind of just like 
oh, his mother didn't want to drop him all the way in, so she had to hold him by something, kind of. (laughs) That's essentially the premise of why his ankle is the vulnerable spot. Mm -hmm. But, like, the idea that you, that no one can be completely invulnerable, that there has to be something, and that's, like, what's tying you to your mortality is so interesting. I love the way the scene was written. It was... Mm-hmm. Like you could really see it in your head and I'm, I'm I would be very excited to see how they did that on screen um with Percy imagining all of that in his head and um it's yeah it's re- it's really really cool the way that they did it I liked it a lot um and how we had to see Sally for her blessing too and just the whole process was was really cool um and then Annabeth shows up so it's great even though not really but <laughs> basically she's always there let's be real she's always always she's always there Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting how i we've been talking about vulnerability in relationships and how like in order to have a relationship you need to make yourself vulnerable and so that's interesting how in this scene of the river sticks the thing that keeps him vulnerable and keeps him tied to his mortality is his relationships with people It's like, there's, I like that they're saying that vulnerability is necessary. Yeah. In order Mm -hmm. to, to, to be a strong person, you need to be weak. It's such an interesting concept. I love it though. It's so healthy. (laughs) And of course, Annabeth is his like last tie. Um, It should be Sally, but (laughs) Sally gets her own scene uh before this so it's fine uh it's interesting how this chapter starts with rachel and then ends with annabeth it does that's so real Hmm. (laughs) also something i noticed um in sort of the the rachel discussion um at some point there was I can't remember the specific quote or how it was worded, but there was some like syntactical thing where Rick was like, and this wasn't realistic at all. So, but it was a dream. And I was like, normally Percy's dreams are incredibly realistic. And I feel like if he's dreaming about Rachel and something happens that isn't realistic, that might be a little telling, you know? I mean, it's, I think the whole thing is, we, we've seen how in this book, Rachel is the symbol of Percy's, uh, like, the mortal world, and Annabeth is the symbol of the, the godly world. And I think by framing this with him starting and lamenting about how he could not, like, be on vacation with Rachel and be having a normal life, and ending with him jumping in the river sticks and imagining Annabeth, it's it's kind of the scene where he makes his choice and he's like, I have to give up my chance at having a normal life and I have to commit to this wild fucking prophecy that I have been told has to be about me. But the one thing that will keep me mortal in this immortal life is Annabeth. Yeah. Oh. Also, like, this is kind of jumping back, but I feel like we've talked about before how, um, I think it was in Battle of the Labyrinth, Percy's literally, like, when he has to fight off 
in the volcano by himself. He's like, Annabeth is normally the one who like has the plan and helps me out at the last minute. And like, I just, I do what I can do until Annabeth can help me. And I feel like that is quite literally what happens. Like, I think it makes a lot of sense for Annabeth to be the last thing that pulls him back to reality because all of their, their experiences together when it comes to quests and fighting have been like Percy does what he can until Annabeth comes up with the plan and gets him out of it, you know? So I think that it makes a lot of sense that Annabeth was the one to be like, because I think it's literally, I can't remember exactly what she says, but the vision of Annabeth is literally like, come on, dummy. <laughs> like it's time to get out of the river. Like it's it's exactly how she would act in a quest scenario with him. So I think it would make a lot of sense. Yeah. It's like, it's she's not in these chapters, but her presence is felt throughout um, and that's so, it's so cute. It's a fangirl a little bit. It is really cute. And then really he gets cute. out of the river and he uh, destroys an entire army on his own and almost kills Hades. Uh-huh. The strength. No big. It's, it's kind of insane. The, I think one of the questions that this raises is, how much of this is the placebo? True. Because, oh, so clearly the, what the river sticks has given to him is like, he is invulnerable, except for this, like the small of his back, this one point. But he's not necessarily a better fighter because of, of the river sticks. So how much of this is him getting powers from the curse of Achilles and how much of this is, I mean, I don't think I'm going to die, so I might as well. It's almost like he just is realizing the full extent of his powers at that point, because we, I mean, we've always known that Percy is the hero or the gods or whatever, but it's because he is now invulnerable. He can just like go full steam ahead and not have to worry about it. Um, yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I think it's the thing about like not perceiving your vulnerability makes it easier to to do things sometimes. If you get stuck in in knowing how vulnerable you are, you get stuck in not doing things. Like I would never go skydiving because I know I could splat. But but if I didn't think I could splat, then I would go skydiving. I love the word choice. <laughs> no, but I completely agree. And I also think that goes for like, I don't know, like it, it goes for like enjoyment of like most things, you know, like I think if you're in a situation and all you're thinking about is like, I'm in this situation here, are all the things that, you know, could happen here. All the, and like, I totally have the, a tendency to think that way. I'm, you know, very much a person who like brain goes 3000 miles an hour and not in a good way, you know? Um, so I think that often vulnerability can be terrifying when you don't like when you're hyper aware of it. Like I had an acting teacher who said, and even I both had an acting teacher who said, thinking about thinking is the worst thing you can possibly do. And I live by that. <laughs> so I think that really applies um, here in discussion of vulnerability. I mean, not to, to fully dive into acting theory, but uh, that's the whole thing behind the Meisner technique, which is getting you out of your head 
and not thinking about your acting. You do a, a separate activity that's not related to uh, your scene so that you focus on that and stop thinking I'm acting right now. Yeah, and I just think guys, this is what you could use your BA in theater to do. <laughs> everyone listening, go out and get a theater degree. This is exactly what you can use it for. Oh my God. <laughs> I actually have one more thing to say about it though. Um, unfortunately, um, I think keep going. I love it. Stanislavski, um, who's another sort of um, theater. Oh, we're person. touching on all the acting theory today. Yeah, we're just we're delving in. Um, <laughs> I love it. He also he's similar to Meisner in certain ways, um, where he basically his whole thing is, well, you can't control your mind, so you can control your body, and then your body will create sort of natural reactions in your mind. So that is kind of the best way of doing so. Because I think that like the idea that people can control their own minds is a little, it's it's very problematic, especially for people who suffer from mental illnesses and stuff. Um, so the whole idea, and I think Percy really, really does this too. He's like, okay, I can control my body. I can control what I do. Um, and I think here is kind of like the, the almost like one of the apexes of like controlling his body and controlling his physical form so that he can be as mentally powerful as possible. Um, and he, I think he now understands that that comes with vulnerability. He's just grown so much. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what anxiety is. I, anxiety is a, a hyper awareness of your vulnerability and in both physical ways and like emotional and mental ways, you're like, I can't do this because this would hurt me or like what would happen because you know that you're vulnerable. And so that's why in this scene, he is able to take down an entire army because he's like, I'm, I'm invulnerable now. I can't get hurt. So now I can do anything. Even kill a God. Even kill a God. All right, is it time for Percy's sass moments? Or sass moments in general. I've, we have not, they have not been Percy specific since like our first three episodes and still, and I still say it. Okay, there were so many, like I have so many highlighted here. Like I'll say my first one, but like I could go, I have a lot. So um, I'll say my first one and then we'll go around. And then if I'm like, oh, I have another. Because <laughs> they, they was a very funny chapter. Yeah. Um, this is in uh, what did we do? Seven. What are the numbers? Seven and eight. Six and seven. seven and eight. Seven and eight. <laughs> chapter eight. Um, and it is when um, Percy is trapped, and then Nico comes in to visit him. Comes in to save him, but um. Percy is asleep, so just sort of like pins him up against the wall, thinking it's an intruder, but it's Nico. Um, so it's a little long, but it's I lunged out blindly. Before I was fully awake, I had Nico pinned to the floor of the cell with the edge of my sword at his throat. Want to rescue? He choked. Anger woke me up fast. Oh yeah, and why should I trust you? No choice. <laughs> no choice. <laughs> it's just I don't know. That made me laugh. And the next line is, I wish he hadn't said something logical like that. Because <laughs> it is. There's like no doors or windows in this place. Percy cannot get out on his own. Yeah, there, there are so many funny moments. Um, mine, 
one of mine is he nodded sleepily with great power comes great need to take a nap wake me up I later I loved that one that was so good <laughs> okay I get <laughs> I can go um yeah mine is in chapter seven and it's <laughs> this actually made me laugh out loud when they're talking about Mrs. Dodds um, you know, Electo Nico asked me, if you mean the hag in the middle, yeah, she was my math teacher. Whenever anyone says hag, I lose my mind. And that's just the rule. One of mine was um, the Persephone moment where they think that she's going to defend them and she just turns to Hades and goes, mm, okay, what's for breakfast? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay, that's chill. I mean, everything that Demeter said in these chapters was also hilarious. Funny. Hilarious. I would, I would like to share another one of them specifically. That's the boy needs to eat more. Demeter grumbled, "He's too skinny. He needs more cereal." <laughs> what is with the cereal? Like, why do we love the cereal here? I feel it's, like I should know. Like, I feel like I'm really missing something, but I. I I mean, Demeter's the goddess of cereals. Like, that's one of her things. It's cereals. But, like, cereals as in, like, grains, not in as, like, breakfast oh, food. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's what I thought. Because I was, I was like, because it's, like, wheat or corn. But I didn't know that they were, like, called cereal. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to do one more just because King Grover said something funny. And I just want to give him credit for saying something funny. Um. Please, man, I said, it would mean a lot. For old times' sake, he whimpered. As I recall, in the old times, we almost died a lot. But here was nothing. So good. True. You are correct. It's so interesting, Grover. These chapters were just so funny and, like, so also, like, emotional at the same time. Yeah. Fantastic they, writing. A great balance of, like, extremely heavy, so, like, material and, like, humor. It's crazy. Yeah. Like All we've right, got folks, the meter cracking jokes. Our... Oh, sorry. We've got the meter cracking jokes. You're good. I betrayed you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, why are these both happening at the same time? Like, Hades is like, you're going to prison. And Demeter's like, anyways, like, here's a little comedic relief in this extremely <laughs> serious moment. Also, I love it. It's also like, you wouldn't expect Demeter to be the funny one. Like, you wouldn't expect her to be the funny god. Like, I, I think maybe it's like my, you know, societal internalized misogyny moment, but like, I just would not think she would be the funny one. But I also think that's just because like, you know, if you think of like the harvest and you think of blah, 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 like you think serious, but like, it reminded me of like the challenges on RuPaul's Drag Race where they all have to do stand up, And then the one queen that no one thinks is going to do well, like hits it out of the park. <laughs> Like, she was that. <laughs> True. You're so right. All right. Who are our offerings for this week? Demeter. <laughs> period. She's so funny. Absolute period. <laughs> Fantastic choice. Someone go before me so I can decide between people. Okay. I mean, mine is Nico. Like, he does bad, but for a good reason. Um, and he doesn't know that Hades is going to lock uh, Percy. He really, like, he 
opens himself up to a lot and it all backfires on him. And so I feel really bad. Yeah, I was gonna say Nico too, because exact same reason. Also he's 12 too, and he's up against his father who's like God. Um, but if you pick Nico, then I'll go with my second choice that I was debating, which was Grover, um, because our poor man's was asleep for two months and <laughs> he did not deserve that. And uh, now he's got to go fight a war. And also he had to open up the underworld for them, which we know he doesn't like underground places. So mm-hmm. man's been through it this week. you know. Yes, he really has. Okay, listen, I'm going to give it to Percy. It's okay. It is. Okay. <laughs> the reassuring, the reassuring. <laughs> just it's okay. I promise you, it's all right. No, because um, I think I did it last week. I'm yeah. Yeah, someone Percy did. Does good in the last Olympian. Like I he does good in this book. Yeah. There's definitely some moments that he doesn't. But overall, he he does well in this book. And I think this is one of those moments. Um I feel like you could interpret it as he does bad, as Achilles literally is in this river, like, don't do it. Don't do it, and he still does it. Um, but and then he do it. But I think that was honestly like a very like brave choice because he knew what he was up against, and he could recognize the people in his life that could keep him from becoming what Achilles was telling him he could become. And it was just I don't know. He he did well. He did well, and then he killed a whole army and almost killed a god. So king. Period. Like okay. <laughs> That's a, that's a good moment for anyone to just out of nowhere kill a whole army. So I don't know. He did well these chapters. I think that in the coming chapters, there's definitely going to be people who we feel more sympathy for than Percy. Because I feel like while he is the main character and the narrator, he almost fades into the background during a lot of the battles. Like other people definitely take the forefront during the... And like we're about to get into like the, the battle. Um, so like... Just want to give him one more before a lot of people start to upstage him. <laughs> that's real. That's real. I actually love that Achilles moment too, as one of the, sorry for my puppy, um, as one of the moments of vulnerability too, which we didn't really touch on. Um, because I think Achilles is warning him because he, he wasn't strong enough to do what Hestia was talking about, to give that up and have that vulnerability and to see Percy know that he can or think that he can like that's that's a really good moment as well in in that chapter too all right who are we voting off the island this week for stephanie (laughs) for stephanie i mean she didn't she she tried to like help them for all of two seconds and then she was like all right i'm gonna peace guys um (laughs) so anymore yeah, she was like, I put in enough effort here. It's fine. The children can deal with the war. I want cereal. <laughs> it's like, all right, priorities woman. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I don't know. Like... I really don't want to go with the obvious one, but like a lot of most people do like fine. So like Hades. Yeah. I'll I say chapter's hard. Yeah. I'll say Morpheus. Yeah. Oh, he kind of did what he did a long time ago, but we just now found out about it. So <laughs> Morpheus. <laughs> That's a good one. I think uh, I think I'm gonna vote off Rick 
for his depiction of Hades. Um, I don't like it. He's not that bad, actually. He, like, the demonization of Hades, I, like, I can't stand, you know? So that's a big thing. He's also just, like, wildly inconsistent with his characterization of Hades. Yes. In Lightning Thief, he was, like, uh, kind of redeemed, like, and had, like, a very good monologue about, like, why do you think I'm the bad guy? And it's, like, nice. Like, that was a good moment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He he does that with a few gods, and I get annoyed (laughs) because I just really want to, like, defend them. Um, Only in that way, though. Don't defend gods. (laughs) Um, Never defend the gods. Never defend the gods. Um, but like, I, I want to give some of them the benefit of the doubt sometimes, but the inconsistency is irritating. Very much so. All right, folks, that is all for this week. Join us next week where we will be joined by Robert from Into the Riordanverse, and we will be discussing... Chapters 9 and 10, Two Snakes Save My Life, and I Buy Some New Friends through the theme of corruption. Ooh, I didn't know that seems to be for corruption. That's just exciting. Um, make sure to follow us on our social media. We are at Return Camp on every platform that matters, and we also have a Patreon and a Red Bubble store and a website, ReturnToCamp.com. Emma, would you like to plug anything for the listeners before you go? Yeah, you guys can find me at Fancy Central on YouTube and Fancy Central TV on Instagram. Um, and next week, I have an interview with Matt Lancher coming up for the new Netflix show, Jupiter's Legacy. Um, so if you guys are into that, you can go watch it. It will be a good one. Um, and I'm so glad I was asked back. I love talking about this. I can't wait to hear your next podcast, though, because corruption sounds intense. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Yes, thanks so much for coming. <laughs> come back anytime. Of course, of course. I can't wait for the show to come out because oh, we're going to talk. We're going to talk, guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> All right. Bye. See you next week. We waited. No, we waited.